Well, we'll continue this morning from the, I think a fair way to characterize it is the, I'll spread out over there, the challenging epistle of James. It's certainly fair to describe James as something of a straight shooter. I was in a meeting several weeks ago at work, and one of the folk in the meeting described his particular style of communication as straight talk. And sometimes, sometimes straight talk is, uh, is code for kind of uh, uh, direct, right? He was explaining that when you are not being as clear as possible, you increase your risk of being misunderstood. I was thinking, as I glanced at my notes just a second ago, about something I hadn't thought about in conjunction to this. You know, I, 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 I appreciate the uh, clear explanation of things. I also think that that can be done best sometimes when it's sprinkled with a little bit of tact. I think some people live in a world where things are one way or another, black or white. I remember I had just started seminary, and I was made aware of an opportunity at First Baptist Leavenworth for a youth minister position, I think it was. And I went out and sat down with, oh, I don't know, eight or ten folk, and they asked me a series of questions. It was probably an interview. And I got done that night. I had, I had done my best to answer questions as a young seminary student who just knew enough to know I didn't really know what I was talking about in a lot of, in a lot of ways. And, and so most of my answers were qualified with something. You know, well, there's one way to look at it, specifically with, with theological issues. Oh, you could look at it this way, or you could look at it that way. And, and in a lot of ways, I was kind of parroting what I was hearing in seminary. You know, it, hey, there's, there's lots of way, lots of interpretations. And, and I got done, and I kind of thought when I left that, that day, first of all, I thought, oh, it's too far from where I live to, to, to really engage here. And, and I got a call from the pastor, I think, and he said, ah, Jonathan, we appreciate you coming out. We're, we're just not really sure what you believe. <laughs> Ooh, whoops. I said, me too. No, I I was thinking about that, though, in, in connection with James. There's never a doubt what James believes, is there? In the passage we'll consider today, the message is clear, although not easy. The gist is simple, and that is that, to use another phrase that we use sometimes, talk is cheap. Well. Oh yeah, this is what I this is what I want. Before we go to the passage, there's a story of a man, and I tried to get some photos off of Google for what it may look like. Who stretched a tightrope across Niagara Falls? You've probably heard this before. A crowd gathered to watch him attempt his walk across the rope. Certain that if he fell, if he was not successful, his outcome would be immediate and unchangeable. And they marveled and cheered as he successfully, one step at a time, made his way across 
And in this particular story, in a, in, rather than holding the pole, he was balancing a wheelbarrow. And they cheered when he made it to the other side. You know, yeah, yeah. And he got on some sort of a loudspeaker and he said, who is willing to sit in the wheelbarrow as I push it across this time? And suddenly all you heard was the roar of the falls. There was no more cheering, no more clapping. It's easy to have faith until it involves something from you. Until it involves some sense of risk. My battery's dying on my mouse here. I may have to... Well, there we go. Okay. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone says he or she has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one and you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So we as good Baptists, Protestants, Sole Fidelis, faith alone. Targeting back to Luther. Scripture alone, faith alone, grace alone. We read James and we think, well, wait a minute. How can those two things coexist? Saved by grace, not by works. And then James interjects and says, My dear brother Paul, faith without works is dead. Although, I don't want to imply that James' epistle was a response to Paul. We just read it with the underlying tones of Paul's influence on Christianity and on the New Testament in mind. So who's right? James or Paul? Luther, as I mentioned several weeks ago, Martin Luther, one of the great fathers of the Protestant Reformation, he thought James probably should be taken out of the canon of Scripture. (laughs) I think 
uh-oh, here I go again with, let's, don't, don't, don't hem me in, right? I think they're both right. Because they aren't addressing the same thing. Paul, Paul, think about Paul's reason for writing his epistles and specifically that of the epistle to the Galatians where we have so much emphasis on the role of faith. He was fighting against legalism and addressing the group who thought all the Jewish law and regulations must be kept to be a Christian. James was fighting against laxity or laziness and addressing the group who was teaching that it didn't matter what you did as long as you just believed the right things. They both use works. Saved by grace, not by works, Paul says. But they aren't defining it in the same way. For Paul, and his focus on the Jewish law, his emphasis is on the root of salvation. And that which happens internally. For James, as he is looking at what a Christian lifestyle of discipleship means, or what it means to follow Jesus, his focus is on the fruit of salvation, and that which happens on the outside. True faith is lived. Faith that is just some boxes checked off of, yes, I believe this intellectually, I think this happened, or, or, or something that is just fully contained in the mind, but without any impact on any other decision or any action you take, James says, what is the use? A faith that is not lived, faith that does not impact what you do, I guess it'd be a dead battery. The frustration, in fact, I'm living with it right here with this mouse. I'm getting this little red blinking light that's telling me that sooner or later, probably, hopefully, not before 15 minutes, that this mouse and all it is capable of, I, I, I use this thing what am I, four or five feet away from my computer there, to change the slide and to get the right thing up on the screen. Without the battery, it's, it's pretty much just a little plastic piece of junk. Right? It has no impact. It doesn't meet what it was created to do. And James says, without impact, faith is really pretty useless. James, as he likes to do, gives an example. He asks his readers to imagine knowing of a need, presumably being in a position to address it, as he created this scenario where someone comes in who needs help, and then choosing not to do a thing about it. All the while, wishing the other one well. You know, be warm and well-fed. Sorry you're hungry. Sorry you're cold. Hope things turn out better for you. 
All those little platitudes that we can use sometimes. And while we want to be careful not to limit the principle James is prescribing to the illustration, I think it's important to note that his definition of works, as he created this scenario where the faith of the people had no impact on what they did for someone in need, his definition of works was not a list of thou shalt nots. Not just a negative, avoid doing that and you'll be good to go. The, the root principle is that real faith gets involved in the lives of other people and treats them with sincere love. James goes beyond implying. In fact, James outright says that apart from some sort of action, faith is relatively meaningless. And then James goes into some historical illustrations of what that faith may look like. That works complete or fulfill or display true faith. Abraham and Rahab, Old Testament folk, but essentially complete opposites. Abraham, of course, was a Jewish male. Rahab was a Gentile female. You remember who Rahab was? Rahab was the one who helped the spies when Joshua sent the spies into Canaan. Uh, shoot, I should have looked up the names of the two. Caleb, maybe Caleb and Joshua. Sorry, Moses may have sent the spies into Canaan. Rahab helped hide the spies in her own home who were coming to... Uh, uh, going on this mission to see about how God would deliver the city of Jericho into their hands. Jewish male, Gentile, excuse me, Gentile female. Of course, Abraham, a godly man. Rahab, the prostitute. We would note that distinction. One was a patriarch. One was a prostitute. One was a major biblical character mentioned in so many books of the Bible all the way through the New Testament. And then the other was so briefly mentioned. But they had one common trait. One common trait, and that was a faith in God that led to action. And James reminds his readers of what those actions looked like. For Abraham, the ultimate test in which God asked Abraham to give up his own promised son. Abraham, in the account in Genesis, is noted as being credited as righteous for believing God. When God spoke, because Abraham believed, Abraham obeyed. He took Isaac up on the mountain, cut the wood, built the altar, and was ready to make the sacrifice. A demonstration that God should be believed. And because of that, it impacted the way that he lived. And then the story of Rahab found in Joshua 2. We forget sometimes that she ended up in the family line of Jesus. Matthew's gospel reminds us. In all likelihood, a pagan woman acting on the faith that she had. Having only a 
partial understanding of who God was, but believed in a way that led her to action. You know, I think beliefs and doctrinal statements, we don't do much in the way of creeds, but even looking at the way that the, the church as a whole has, has tried to verbalize what it is they believe. And, and these, these consents to intellectual or historical truths that we make, I think those are important. I think we should understand and be able to articulate what it is that we think. But James warns his readers that the demons would likely do pretty well in a Bible quiz, right? <laughs> I saw a, a picture on Facebook this week. I, I don't really understand why they mentioned this element of it, but specifically they said there was an Amish man, an Amish man who was approached by, uh, I, I think they call him English. If you're not Amish, they, they, you're considered English outside of the Amish community. And there was a curious English person who went up to this Amish man and said to him, are you a Christian? Trying to delve into all that they believe. And the Amish man said, well, you have to ask my neighbor. Wow, wow, what a, what a good thought. What a good thought. Ask my neighbor how I live, and you'll know what I truly believe. James wants to know what difference our faith makes. Does our belief in the resurrection of Jesus consistently impact the choices we make for the better? We'll have opportunities this week to answer that question, won't we? We'll have opportunities today. If I can just go ahead and answer the question for you as your pastor, last 10 years or so, I've seen, I've seen it. I know it's there. I know it's there, but I think it's good for us to be reminded again and challenged again by James' challenge in his epistle that we're not people who strictly have some sort of intellectual consent or right belief. That is not what we're ultimately after. We're after the transforming power as the Holy Spirit takes root in our hearts and changes us into the likeness of Jesus. Saved by grace. Absolutely. And then Paul continues. Even Paul, saved by grace for good works. May we allow them to be linked together in our hearts and, more importantly, in our lives. Oh, God, we pray that we would be aware of the way that you call to us this particular day to live out our faith in you. May we allow the Spirit to probe deep into our hearts, examine our hearts, continue to draw us, to yourself. We remember Paul's words from Ephesians 2, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not your own doing it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship created.
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. May that be true of us as we go from this place in just a moment. It's in Christ's name we pray. Thankful for his grace. Amen.